Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. I'm Debbie Cox Bolton, CEO of The New Deal, where we're proud to support some of the amazing leaders you hear on this podcast. I want to welcome you to a very special edition of An Honorable Profession, a conversation with New Deal leader, Michigan Senator Mallory McMurrow. This conversation was taped in a New Deal virtual forum on cultural wedge issues last week, soon after her powerful speech went viral. I'm sure many of you had a chance to see the video of her speech, responding to a divisive and hateful personal attack by a GOP colleague. Senator McMurrow was accused of wanting to groom and sexualize children. She took to the Senate floor to passionately and effectively tell her story and to denounce Republican attempts to use a manufactured culture war around race and LGBTQ issues to create fear and division. In the midst of our national escalating cultural war, including the looming Supreme Court decision that may overturn Roe v. Wade, we wanted to share with you the Senator's comments and backstory. Her speech was so impactful, partly because it was personal and authentic to her, but it also offers lessons about how each of us can use our unique voice to communicate authentically and persuasively. Mallory McMorrow, Michigan Senator, she is a New Deal leader, and we're just so proud of her and excited for her in terms of the attention she's gotten from this very powerful speech that I'm sure many of you saw on the floor, uh, really pushing back against these cultural wedge issues and the division and the hateful language used against her specifically. But she spoke for, I know, many of you and leaders and elected officials across the country that this was, we're not going to stand for this. So Patrick was saying, we missed it earlier, and kind of as a short-term example of how to deal with this, you know, we'll look at, watch your speech, of course. So thanks for being with us today. Love to turn it over to you. Maybe to start with just, again, I'm sure everyone has seen it, but, you know, just kind of the backstory a little bit and, and what, what was kind of the main message you wanted to drive home? Absolutely. So a little bit of the backstory, and there's now probably 97,000 interviews about this, which is not what I thought would happen within the past week. So a week ago on Monday, I woke up and got a text message from my husband who happened to be in Germany for work of a screenshot of an email that he saw somebody post to Twitter. And it was an email sent out. It was a fundraising email from a colleague of mine, not even in my district. So she is not my opponent, but in a fundraising email for herself, she named me by name and accused me of grooming and supporting pedophilia and called me a progressive social media troll from D Snowflake, which just as an offhand, that joke isn't right. If you're going to do it, (laughs) you know, Snowflake is not a place, but, and also that I want to make eight-year-olds believe that they were responsible for slavery. And it was not, what I thought, you know, this is somebody that I I didn't think I had a bad relationship with. Certainly we're on sort of opposite ends of the political spectrum, 
but I didn't think that we had a very negative relationship as somebody who I've gotten coffee with in her hometown. I drove out and got coffee with her and we talk about our families and, and it was just so completely unexpected. And I was so floored at how vile and disgusting it was for a mother to accuse another mother. I'm the mom of a one-year-old of grooming, right? Of befriending children for the purpose of sexually molesting them with clearly no thought of what the consequences might be. And, and just, you know, for the purposes of, of this group, I have friends who moved to Michigan from DC who were regulars at Comet Ping Pong. And they saw this and their first reaction to me was, are you okay? Do you need security? You know, this is the exact rhetoric that led a gunman to open fire on a pizza place thinking that there were children trapped in the basement that didn't even exist. So it just beyond the pale of political rhetoric, hitting back on not even an opponent, but a colleague. And this was after she had given an invocation the week before that a few of us walked out on. So she started the invocation to open Senate session by saying that pleading with God and saying our children are under attack. And there was a long pause and a few of us made eye contact with each other, kind of panicked, thinking we knew where it was going. And she said, by dark forces, that would have children hear and know things against their parents' will. So, you know, if you read what she says, it was very different than how she delivered it. And it was delivered very intentionally right after Florida signed the Don't Say Gay Bill. Um, Governor DeSantis signed it into law. And three of us walked out because to me, that was just such a misuse of prayer (laughs) at the start of a session that's supposed to be intention setting and and setting the tone for the day and reminding us that we're responsible for 10 million people. But anyway, jump ahead to Monday. We got this fundraising email or I I got it. I started seeing it on Twitter and and reporters calling me to ask for comment. And I really didn't didn't have one at the time. I mean, I was just so floored (laughs) by, by this accusation and decided to keep kind of going about my day and and doing my job. And then I was home by myself with my daughter at night because like I said, my husband was out of town and I just sat and I looked at her while I was getting her bath ready. And she was just looking up at me and laughing, like completely oblivious. And I started having all of these thoughts going through my head and I started writing a lot of stuff down. And over the course of, I didn't sleep that night and and I have an hour and a half commute to our capital here. I just kept replaying things over and over and and trying to figure out what I wanted to say that wasn't going to hit back at her because I think that this isn't about Democrats versus Republicans. This has gone way too far. And I was trying to figure out, you know, why me? I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community. I am a white woman from the suburbs. And I realized that that was why, because if you dare to stand up with the LGBTQ community or the black community, when we were going through kind of the CRT panic, then, then you're one of them. And that's really what sunk in with me is you couldn't possibly be, you know, a mother or a parent or a mom. It's you're one of them. And It was so hurtful to me. And I realized however bad I felt for one day was how bad, you know, a trans kid feels every single day when their state and their country and all of this is just telling them that who they are is wrong and vile and predatory. And I really wanted to A, reclaim my own identity as a mom. I, I haven't talked 
very openly about faith. And I'm sure everybody in, in this group, you know, it's a very kind of strange thing where when you fill out endorsement applications and there's just a line for religion and it's like a one word answer. So sometimes I haven't even filled it out because my answer is much longer, but it really, it, it has shaped who I am. My husband is Jewish and feels very strongly about his Jewish identity, right? Identity is really important. So I wanted to take that back and talk about how I was raised and who I am and that I am a non-marginalized, you know, straight, white, suburban, Christian, married mom. And the idea that Christianity and faith and moms have been weaponized to justify hatred is unacceptable, not okay. So I, I definitely wanted to kind of elevate it a little bit and not just hit back because people are tired of Democrats and Republicans fighting with each other. To put this in context in Michigan, our ex Republican Speaker of the House, Lee Chatfield, has been accused by his sister-in-law of actual grooming. He started grooming her when she was 15 and, and raped her. And so there's a lot, a lot of people here in Michigan who are like, well, you just have to call out that hypocrisy, but that wouldn't have that wouldn't have spoken to anybody else. It would just be Democrats and Republicans fighting. So that is where we are now. And the speech has now been viewed more than 15 million times on Twitter alone. And however many TV shows and stories have been written about it. And I certainly didn't wake up last week thinking I, I would be charting a new playbook for the Democratic Party or getting a call from Joe Biden or anything that has happened. But that's where we are. And I would be happy to talk about it. Thanks so much, Mallory. I mean, super interesting to hear the, the backstory, too. And I guess I just want to ask one follow-up question, then I want to open it up for, for everybody. But you kind of just hit on it just right now. It does feel like a lot of the Democratic Party nationally, the strategy, the thinking was, this is so crazy, let's just not talk about it, right? And you kind of put, took that right on its head and said, no, I'm not going to not talk about this. I'm going to talk about me and my identity and all the things we've already said. So yeah. I'm just curious, you know, when you're out there doing these interviews now, like it feels like, I mean, there was such resonance, you already went through the stats, but I mean, in terms of how many people viewed it, how many people shared it, the types of interviews you're doing, who's calling you, clearly this has hit a nerve with Democrats that maybe that what you did is a playbook. So what do you just want to add anything to that point about kind of what you see going forward for other people to take a lesson from what you did? Sure. You know, I, I think, and I always want to be cautious, you know, people are calling me and asking to like dissect my speech and can we use this as a playbook? And I think without sounding too full of myself, I think part of the reason it resonated is this is authentic to me. This is very much my story. You can fact check it. Like my, I talked to my mom a lot and people ask me why I mentioned CCD without defining what that was. And, you know, it's, it's, if you know, you know, and if you don't, it's a detail of the story. So I, I want to caution, don't try to break it down so much and use it as a template because that's not authentic to who everybody is. But I think that for me, I think really reclaiming the fact that we love our families and our kids and our communities and our neighbors. And I think that what I have felt, and I represent a marginal district here in Michigan, I flipped a Republican district when I ran it in 2018. I represent a lot of marginal Republicans who part of the reason that, that I won the first time was they don't want to hate anybody. They want lower taxes, right? Like it is, I represent Mitt Romney's hometown. And this has gotten so far away from just common decency that I think that there is something there. And I think that the idea of when they go low, we go high. I don't think this was going low. This was hitting back and calling a spade a spade and then pivoting. So part of what I did in the speech too, is to really say, look, if, if you're not the parent of a trans kid, 
this impacts you too, because I represent and I have gotten calls from constituents who are so upset. You can hear it in their voice and they're demanding to know why I would support as a woman, biological men, using quotes, playing sports. And part of me just wants to respond. Did you even use this phrase before three or four weeks ago? And why? I am just as mad that this current strategy is taking advantage and manipulating all of my constituents and making them believe that their own problems are because a fifth grader wants to play soccer with her friends. And it's lying. It's just lying to you. So I think we can really clearly and confidently call a lie and hate what it is and then say why it matters to everybody else and talk about, you know, the policies that we're all trying to to promote and push and improve people's lives. And, you know, it's all the questions about do Democrats talk about social issues too much or should we talk about them at all? It's This is lying. It's just lying. It's a manufactured issue. We have a process here in Michigan already for if a trans child does want to play a sport on a team that matches their gender identity. We have a process that the school is involved in, the state is involved in, the team is involved in, the parents are involved in, and it's less than two kids per year who apply for this waiver. It is crazy that there is that much attention on this issue. So I think that that if there's a playbook or a message to be learned is call a lie what it is and tell everybody why it matters to them. You're listening to a special episode of An Honorable Profession, taped last week at a New Deal virtual event with Michigan Senator Mallory McMurrow. The senator took questions from the audience at the event. She was asked about how to rebut the caricature painted by the right about Democrats and whether there are common messages that all Democrats can use to dismiss these too often hateful and made up attacks. Sometimes we look for it to be too common instead of recognizing like we're a big tent party and we have a lot of different lived experiences. And I think your story is going to be different than mine, but you connect with your constituents. Mine happens to be apparently what a lot of people were feeling, but it was my story and not trying to fit into this broad, like who are all of us in one voice, because we don't have one voice. We have a lot of voices. I listened to an interview that Danica Rome gave and I've been getting asked this question a lot over the past week of reporters, particularly when I go on like more conservative local radio shows have been asking, well, what do you say to parents who don't believe that we should be teaching about trans issues and sexual identity to kindergartners? She had such a perfect answer, which was number one, sex acts aren't being taught in school. Number two, if any of these issues are being brought up in a K through three classroom, it's because there is a child in that room who is living that experience and wants to ask questions and wants to better understand whether it's, you know, a parent, a family member, they themselves, one of my my colleagues, Jeremy Moss, who is our first and only openly gay senator here in Michigan said today, it's not about sex, but everyone had, you know, an elementary school crush. And it was, or gravitated towards, I want to wear a certain thing or another thing and why, and kids should feel that it's a safe space to talk about those things. So Danica said, you know, if if it's even coming up in a classroom, it's because a kid there has questions and wants to feel like it is a safe space to ask them. And then she pivoted immediately to saying, and, and while they're introducing bills to prevent kids from having a space to ask questions, I'm working to feed them. And here's the bill that I've introduced to expand, you know, school lunch. And it was just so perfect from, you know, an openly trans delegate in Virginia who her, she is such a unique messenger for that specific message. 
And I'm frankly going to quote her, right? Because that is an experience that I don't have that she has that, that I can just say, hey, I talked to a friend, a colleague who has lived this experience. And I think that it's it's okay for us to frankly say what we don't know too. Like if it's not your lived experience, don't pretend that it is. And that's why right now, you know, I'm really trying to make space for people like Jeremy to step up and say like, here's why this speech mattered. And here's what this experience actually means. Like he gave up after me yesterday and just talked about what it was like coming out, even with parents who were supportive, supportive, but straight, who didn't have the tools to like help him navigate that. And that that is what is happening in school, not teaching about sex acts. And I think once we start getting into the weeds of answering those questions, we're validating what is a false premise to begin with. We wrapped up our conversation with Senator McMurrow with a question about the importance of creating space and a platform for people from communities who are most often being targeted directly by right-wing attacks. It's a hard experience this past week because I'm also keenly aware, you know, this speech went crazy viral and has gotten a lot of attention. And I am a white woman from the suburbs. And Erica Geis is a colleague of mine, a, a Black mother. She gave a speech last week or two weeks ago. We, we just had the shooting of Patrick Leoyo in Grand Rapids, a man who was shot in the back of the head by a police officer, a Black man. And Erica gave up and gave a speech just about her fear as a mother and said her son is getting old enough to drive and said, my husband's whiteness is not going to protect my black son. And that didn't get the attention that my speech did. And it's finding this balance. And, and, you know, I'm speaking sort of specifically to other suburban white moms to say, you need to stand up with me, with people who've been doing this for a long time, whose message is not being heard, who are, that message is falling on deaf ears because we cannot constantly expect. And I like that you called out not saying marginalized because I'm I'm really trying to do that now as well is, is not say that because that is something that society has done. You know, people haven't done that to themselves, but we can't constantly expect people who are being attacked to defend themselves without standing up and saying, we stand with you. And this is wrong. This goes against our beliefs because it's kind of almost too simple. Like politics and government is a numbers game. You want more people to vote for you than vote for the other person. And when we're talking about minority groups, by definition, it's a smaller group. So minority groups are going to need people in the majority group, white women in particular, who are the reason that the 2016 election went the way it did to get a little bit uncomfortable and say, you know what, this issue doesn't affect me. I'm largely fine, but you're not fine. And I care about you and I care about this community and I will take the hit if it helps deflect that a little bit. And so that hopefully your, your voice does come through because it matters. So that's really, if you see the story is continuing to go on this week, I'm really trying to make a concerted effort to make that space and bring more people in who've been doing this, frankly, at hell of a lot longer than I have, whose voices need to be heard and haven't been. What a great way to end this episode. I want to thank Senator McMurrow for taking the time to share her experience and her message with us. And thank you for joining us for this very special edition of An Honorable Profession. Join us next week when we talk with another talented, inspiring leader. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.